Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to the Fabulous Keto Podcast. This is episode 95. And now you may be, dear listener, be familiar with this particular guest that you're going to be hearing today. We invited, or she invited herself back, Lisa Bailey. You might remember that Jackie was on holiday and we actually replayed two episodes. And when we let Lisa know that we were going to be replaying her um, her episode again, she said, but wait, there's more. And it was like, how exciting, Jackie, to have, um, have Lisa back on the show. Yeah, because she was one of the very first guests and one of the very first people I interviewed even before you joined me. So that was about a year before we actually launched. So <laughs> it was a long time ago. But it was really good to have Lisa back, and um, so she certainly had lots to um, lots to update us on um, in terms of you know how she's been going. So for the listeners, they may remember that she was a vegetarian who is now carnivore. So it was a complete one eighty degrees in terms of her health journey for her various conditions, and um, yeah, it was really great to to hear from her again. Yeah, it's really good and really interesting with the experiments she's been doing recently. Yeah, we don't want to give it too much away. No. Um, so we won't be telling you any more about what um, what we were discussing. But just to say that, um, yeah, we were very intrigued to sort of to, to continue to, to hear about her health journey. So um, let's find out a bit more about Lisa. And we know that Lisa has been in the health and fitness space for over a decade, specialising in nutrition and personal training services. Jackie knows only too well about those kettlebells because she, you know, focuses on strength training. So as mentioned, you know, she was a vegetarian for 27 years and she also suffered a lifelong history of IBS and a 20-year loss of smell and taste. She made a complete recovery with the implementation of a carnivore diet. So her story can be heard on various podcasts, as we mentioned. But today, she returns to the Fabulously Keto podcast to discuss her experiment with well, we don't want to give it away, um, but needless to say, the effects on her body. 
but we want to discuss her passion for strength training. So how did you go, Jackie, with those kettlebells, strength and conditioning, and why she believes that everybody should be introducing this type of training into their weekly routine. And she gave me some top tips as well, (laughs) me with struggling with my um, balancing my competing demands. But lockdown brought some work challenges for many people and Lisa found her business badly affected, but undaunted she took up knitting and now has created a second business making hand-dyed, hand-knitted felt bags. So it really is great to um, to have Lisa back. So let's hear from Lisa. Just before we go to the interview, I was going to say while we were doing the interview, um, the birds in my garden were tweeting away like mad. It was in in the end of May, so it was very early spring, and the birds were going absolutely loopy, tweeting, tweeting, tweeting. And we thought that the microphone, we could all hear it, the three of us, and we thought the microphone would pick it up, but it didn't pick up as much as I thought it would. But we have left a few tweets in for you, for you to listen. Welcome back to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you here today, Lisa Bailey. Hi, thank you for having me back. Well, listeners, we know when Jackie was away on holiday, we re-released our original episode with Lisa and um, and that's when she reached out to sort of say, hey, remember me? I've got some updates and we're very excited to have Lisa back today. So why don't we start with where in the world are you, Lisa? Well, I am in Scotland. Um, which at this time in May should be getting a lot nicer, but it's actually really quite cold still. <laughs> so we've had some really nice uh, sunny days, but there's a really cold wind at the minute. So um, it's a little bit bitter, but we're crossing our fingers that uh, it is coming into summer. So hopefully we'll get some nice weather soon. So that's where I am. I think um, for the listeners, I think we were comparing contrasting Scottish weather to, to that in Melbourne and we, we came up with the idea that it's actually same, same but different. I think we must be in parallel hemispheres on the, on the same sort of, um, on, the, on the latitudes and longitudes similarly. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's interesting because my son and his fiance are also in Melbourne and, um, you know, right now, because you're going into your winter and we're coming into our summer and the temperatures are about the same <laughs> most of the time. Absolutely. So, um, like, oh, it's really cold. And I'm like, yeah, well, you're in winter. <laughs> it's really cold and we're supposed to be summer. So, uh, yeah, it's quite funny. Yeah. So where should we start? I think, Lisa, why don't you just tell the listeners a little bit about your journey to low carb? I know we did it in the last episode, but just recap for those that haven't heard you before. Okay, no, um, I'll try and keep it short and abridged because it was a long story and obviously people can hear the original episode if they want to. Um, <clears throat> I had ill health all my life, really, from a child, young child into adulthood. I had IBS symptoms, um, and which got progressively worse and nobody could ever tell what it was. They couldn't really say why it was happening um in those days because I'm getting pretty old now um 55 this year um they didn't really test they weren't testing for any intolerances or anything like that so they just kind of said well you know it's kind of an IBS type of thing go away take some tablets and you know live with it 
So as I got older and basically um, into health and fitness and was studying more nutrition, I kind of started putting two and two together thinking, well, it looks like it's something that I'm eating, something that I'm doing. Um, And I've been a vegetarian for, well, 27 years in total. I was vegetarian. Um, I started that sort of in my teens, thinking it was a really healthy way to go. Um, And of course, brought up in the whole low fat era as well so that probably didn't help um but i i realized that something wasn't right um and looking at at ways to maybe make it right i thought well gluten could be a problem so i looked at a paleo style way of eating um that didn't really work with vegetarianism because once you start taking out beans and pulses and you know lots of your protein is out the window so I had to make a big decision. Do I put meat back in? And I thought, well, I'll try it. I won't go crazy. Just do a bit of chicken, a bit of fish, see how it goes. And it really did make a big difference because suddenly, you know, I was having more protein and obviously more healthful foods, I think. Um, and I just started that journey from paleo, went to low carb, went to keto. Um, and eventually, I uh, five years ago was doing a lot of research into um people like um, Blake Donaldson and Dr. Salisbury, people that were treating, doctors that were treating patients way back in the day with a carnivore diet. And this was around about the time that Sean Baker was kind of starting up as well. And I just thought that's really interesting. Having been a vegetarian for so long, I couldn't imagine not having any vegetables on my plate. Now, I hadn't really been eating fruit for quite a long time anyway, but vegetables, I was thinking, really? So I just said to my husband, I'm just going to try this and see what it's like, just out of curiosity more than anything else. And three weeks into that, um, I I had lost my smell and taste for 20 years. And three weeks in, uh, it came back. Now, I had no expectations at all. I wasn't even thinking about that side of things, because who would think that taking out plant foods would rectify that kind of problem? Um so that was really quite shocking to me. Um, and basically, I haven't looked back. I've just stayed um, on carnivore, strict carnivore. I haven't had any plant foods at all um, for five years. And I can smell and taste. And I feel the best I've ever felt. So um, why argue with that? Why play around? with <laughs> Don't fix what's not broken is what I say. <laughs> but you did you did you have had done some experimenting though haven't you I have done some experimenting so I knew kind of way back when I was first doing this um I obviously found out that gluten was a problem for me big problem for me so that was out out of bounds um I also realized that dairy was a problem um and because the proteins in in gluten and dairy are quite similar uh, and I, I used to get really quite bad, low um, stomach pains when I ate dairy. So I kind of cut that out. And um, and as I, w- although a lot of people do eat dairy because it is considered to be a carnival food because it's animal based food, for me, um, it was always like, yeah, probably not a good idea. Now I love it. Don't get me wrong, because I really love yogurt and I like cheese, and you know, so that was something that I really missed. So. About a year ago, I decided to play around with um, the macro side of things because there's again been a lot of a lot of talk in the space 
uh, I would say within the last year and a half about protein and about protein being, you know, a misunderstood macronutrient and it's really the best one to have and you shouldn't fear protein, which I get because it is important. But um, I think it's being overstated now. And I think people are kind of going to the opposite end of the scale. And I tried it myself because I thought, well, yeah, okay, protein's good. I'm I'm into strength training. You know, I listened to tons of podcasts, did a lot of research, and there's certainly no evidence to suggest that overeating protein is harmful. Um, you know, there's there's no evidence to suggest that at all. So I thought, well, that's great. I'll I'll do that. I'll lower the fat and I'll up the protein, and let's go with that and see see what happens. And it was really quite interesting because I found that I was really hungry. I mean, I was eating way more because <clears throat> I was really hungry. And I mean, I was still eating fat. It wasn't like I was low fat, but I wasn't eating as much, definitely not as much fat. And everything that I was eating was leaner, leaner cuts of meat, you know, and not adding extra fat. But I also added in some dairy because I thought, well, um, if I'm doing this, I'm going to want things like some whey protein, some casein protein, maybe yep. some, um, mm -hmm. you know, low fat yogurt, just yep. plain Greek yogurt, stuff like that. So I added that in and I didn't get, I wasn't getting any stomach pains. So I thought, great. Okay. Well, that's a result. That's really good. Um, I did, um, try and do quite a lot of goat, um, milk products rather than cow. So that because that's, you know, like a bit like doing the A2 cow um, milk, the, the goat and sheep is, is similar to that. So they do say that there's less uh, issues with that. And I certainly was finding that I wasn't having what I considered to have, be having any reactions. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But I found that with the high protein, I was waking up about four or five times in the night. So my sleep was really affected. Um, I needed to, I guess, because you're trying to get rid of the ammonia and the nitrogen and everything's coming out, you need to go for a week. So you, you going, you know, about four or five times during the night. Um, <clears throat> when I was tracking my ketones and my, my glucose, well, my glucose was shooting up and my ketones were almost non-existent. So anyone that says just a plain carnivore, low, <laughs> lower fat is for me, there's no way my ketones were really non, not there. What what um, times of day were you testing? First thing in the morning. Okay. And I always test first thing in the morning. So, you you know, you're fasted overnight. Um, and I'm not saying that my glucose was massively, you know, diabetically high. But for me, they were it was high because I'm normally in the low, you know, 4, 4.3 or something like that. Sometimes I can go down to like 3.9 or whatever. But... Usually it's about between 4 and 4.5, 4.8. But question, just a quick question, sorry to interrupt. Um, blood glucose went up, your ketones right. went down. Yes, yeah. So my, my glucose was up at about, you know, over 5 most of, the, most of the mornings, whereas before it's normally down, you know, 4.5 and under. Um, my ketones, sorry, go on. You know, go on. Um, 
I really, yeah, I really, a similar experience, but I was just really curious as to, to tell me how much protein were you eating? Like, were you, you know, was I it? Was, well, I did track during that time and I was eating probably about 200 grams of protein. Oh, <gasps> wow. What? <laughs> but that was oh. mainly, but you were supplementing with the whey protein as well, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was taking some whey, some casein, um, you know, trying to cycle it around um, workouts, things like that. I was having, you know, some like yogurt and stuff, you know, in the evening. And and yeah, just so it wasn't like I was eating mountains, although I was eating more because I was hungry. I was really hungry. Um, so I, d- I did find that made a difference. But do you think you were having too much protein? I, oh yeah, definitely. I do. I mean, I don't, as I said, I don't think, um, you know, there's, there's no evidence to suggest it's harmful, but I would say that for me, there were definitely negative, really negative effects. Um, because your body can't, your body can't process that much protein. Um, and so it's got to get rid of it. So it's either, it's got to come out through your urine, obviously in ammonia, you've got to get rid of the ammonia. So you're going to be going, um, to the bathroom way more and that was keeping me up at night I was waking up four or five times I just had really disturbed sleep um the other really interesting thing um which is a kind of a strange thing for uh, people but probably interesting for women is that I developed really uh serious feminine itching it was really chronic Mm. um and I was just like what is this and I don't know whether that's to do with the byproducts coming out when you go into the bathroom I don't know but it was really chronic now I am obviously I've gone through the menopause and I've I've sailed through it because I think because I've been on a carnival diet I haven't had you know really any um bad you know have have hot flushes or really any bad symptoms at all I've been really fortunate but suddenly it was like oh my god I just feel really um that that was really uncomfortable really horrible and I was hot a lot but then again that's the protein I was very uh, you know <laughs> active active wanting because you've got to get rid of this energy as well so again sleep wise you know I, I was very jittery my legs everything wanting to move um it just was it just felt really uncomfortable um and I basically also also lost my smell and taste now that is going back to the dairy because I realized that having put the dairy products back in made my intestinal permeability come back so although I wasn't having any discomfort I wasn't experiencing any stomach pain um obviously the, the intestinal lining was broken and I lost that smell and taste again and it's take it took me three months to get that back after taking the dairy out. So and it did come, it has come back and it's fine, but it was definitely the dairy that was the issue. Uh, yeah. from- so did you take the dairy out before you lowered your protein? Yes, I did. Yeah. And I and and I thought, oh well, hopefully it'll, you know, it'll come back really quickly. It didn't. It took quite a while. But again, I also wonder whether part of that is not only the dairy, but but the high protein, the fact that it took longer because 
I think it's really so important for the fats and for the fats to be there for mucus and, you know, cell um, integrity and, and all of that. It's re- fats really important for that. So again, I think having, when I then went back to a higher fat protocol, I, I notice that although my smell and taste is back, it is much, much stronger when I'm in high ketosis. Mm-hmm. really noticeable so i mean with covid we know that you you sometimes lose your smell and taste and i did for a, a couple of days yeah. and i did think of you when i lost <laughs> i my... know i've had a lot of messages actually from people <laughs> who said that i was like i had covid for 20 years but so what they were saying is oh, uh, some, one of the theories i heard is that it's to do with the brain function that you you're losing your taste and your smell. So do you think the lack of fats is possibly affecting what's going on in your brain as it well could, as your gut? Yes, I think it could well be. Yeah, definitely. It's a really interesting um, conundrum, really. I mean, I spoke to um, Jafia Clemens from Paleomedicina way back when, when I met her a couple of times um, at various conferences. And she had said that, yes, the obviously the mucal lining and everything is really important um, in your gut to then have the mucus um, production throughout the rest of your body. And you need mucus production for smell and taste. It's really important. But yeah, I do also think that it's very interesting having seen what's gone on with people with COVID and the smell and tasting and, and the brain connection that I do wonder whether because I notice a big difference when I'm in higher ketosis, whether there is something to do with the brain as well. Uh, Yeah, it's a very, very interesting thing. Um, So yeah, for me, the, yeah, the higher protein was just not, not a productive way to go. So when you, sorry, go on. No, no, carry on. I was going to ask when, when you were in, when you were doing the high protein um, way of eating lower fat, what were your macros in terms of percentages? Um, gosh, I'm trying to remember now. Actually, it must have been probably that my my protein must have been at least 50, 60 percent. Yeah, that's high, isn't it? Yeah, it is Although high. Dr. Wrigley says he for women in menopause, he recommends 40 to 50 percent protein. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I think it's too high um, uh, for me personally. Anyway, I mean, I know going back to higher fat has been so much. I mean, it was almost overnight the difference when I went back. Um, my sleep was just it was like, oh, my God, I'm sleeping all the way through the night. This is so good, um, which is so important for recovery, especially when you're doing a lot of training. Um, so my sleep was so much better. I wasn't waking up to go to the loo. I was, um, I wasn't as hungry all the time. Um, I, you know, I had, I had energy both ways to be fair. I mean, I had a lot of excess energy, I would say with the extra protein, I was trying to get rid of energy. Um, but I was hungry. Whereas I, I have lots of energy, um, with a higher fat protocol anyway. Um, the itching went away completely almost straight away 
Well, right. that's a relief. But I was, yeah. I was just wondering about your, <laughs> I mean, you said you had a lot of energy, you know, a lot of excess energy sort of, you know, agitated, you know, yes. ready to sort yeah, of bound out. And you can imagine back in the end of the day, you know, if they were eating obviously the big kill and they were eating all of that muscle meat and plus the fat as well, they wouldn't be eating just the muscle meat. But, um, yeah. But did you notice any gains? Because obviously there's a whole lot of, um, <laughs> you know, in the, in the keto sphere, you know, a lot of the, the bodybuilders, the physical um, trainers are really pushing this high agenda, high protein agenda for the gains. So Lisa, show us your guns. <laughs> show us the gains. Well, I would say um, no, it didn't make any any difference because you can only synthesize so much protein. So if you overeat it, it's not going to make you grow more muscle. Muscle's really, really hard. I mean, it's been interesting because I, through the lockdown, um, because my business was hit really badly, uh, in, you know, and nobody could come to train here. I did do some online stuff, but it actually, in a positive way, gave me much more time to concentrate on myself and do programs for myself, which I hadn't really done a lot before because I was so busy teaching. You know, you end up you're teaching, you're teaching, you're teaching, and you don't end up having much time for yourself. So I did do a lot more uh, programming for myself, um, and I um, basically really enjoyed that it was great but but it's hard it's really hard to build muscle you've got to really work hard you've got to be very very consistent um and yeah you have to have some protein but overeating it is not going to make a blind bit of difference you're not going to get extra gains from that and a similar experience and i mean listeners may remember that uh last year at the end of last year i was doing a similar sort of higher protein and trying to um, lower lower fats, you know, get them gains, you know, do a bit of a shred. But it, <laughs> yeah. or similar to you, all it did was consistently my blood sugar, you know, by a 0.5 of a millimole. So it was similar to you. So, you know, roughly I'm in the high threes, low fours, but it consistently pushed it higher and higher. And I, I, found that physiology and those biochemical sort of pathways absolutely fascinating to know that my system like yours is is not geared for that and I think that that's obviously maybe a genetic factor as well that you know genetically I'm I'm not running after any saber-toothed tigers maybe I'm just your, <laughs> your your little gatherer lady you know gathering the seeds and plotting plodding around the campfire but I'm I'm no athlete for that yeah I don't know I mean it's I wouldn't say that my performance in the gym has really changed it didn't it didn't improve my performance in the gym uh being on higher protein and you know I mean fat is is anabolic anyway it is an anabolic substance so it does grow does help you as well to grow um, yes, if you have way too much, it can help you grow in ways that you may not want to grow, you know, as in fat, fat cells. But um, it's I, certainly as far as energy goes, I would say that both protocols, my energy wasn't really affected in, in, that, in the same sense as performance in the gym. You know, suddenly eating higher protein didn't make me stronger. It didn't make me better it didn't you know it, it didn't provide any other benefits 
at all. Yes, I would think, I think you can. I did lose um, some weight. So that whole shreddedness can um, can be done probably a bit more effectively with a lower protein, a higher protein, lower fat. But for me, it was like, okay, I, I did go up to a very high level. I wasn't always at that very high level, but I was at a high level of protein. But at what cost? You know, it's like, it was so uncomfortable. And I, well, as I was bringing it down and bringing it down, it's, you know, it's still, you know, eating more than you need. Your body can't synthesize it. So it's going to get rid of it. It's either going to, yeah, do, do put your glucose up. It can contribute to fat um, gain um, to some extent. And, you know, basically it just didn't feel comfortable. And I felt hungry and yeah just it just wasn't a comfortable place to be really so it was very interesting doing that switch and going back to a higher fat and and I almost felt like my body did a sigh of relief (laughs) and it's interesting because I wasn't expecting that to happen at all you know and, and particularly when you you've listened to lots of people chatting in the space and you listen to experts about protein and you just kind of think hmm okay well that's really quite interesting but you know I protein is really important don't get me wrong is really important and you need to have adequate protein you absolutely do and I do think the guidelines are not enough generally speaking and if you are an active person like myself then you do need to make sure you have enough protein but but that's it it's just enough and enough is enough. You don't need any more than that. Yeah. So what is enough? Well, for me now, I, I'm back to doing a two to one. So two, two, two fat to one protein ratio. Um, so it is a much higher fat. It's much more along on the lines of the paleomedicina. But I feel much better on that. As I said, when I've got higher level of ketones, then my smell and taste is really on point. Um, and I just feel really, you know, on it, really on it. I sleep much better. I've got loads, loads of energy. Um, everything just feels really good. My, my glucose is much lower. My ketones are up. Um, and, and I'm not starving hungry all day long, Mm. (laughs) which is, you know, great. That's such a benefit. Yeah. A few, a few months ago we had on Vanessa Spina and she was saying that, the protein is for your ideal body weight, so not necessarily the weight you are now. You want 0.8 if you're not very active to one gram of protein per pound of body mass. Yeah, well, that's what they they're saying. I mean, even then, they're saying that still could be quite low. But I think if you're sedentary, um, I think if you're sedentary, then you know, you don't need as much. I mean, basically the body, the body turns over about 250 grams of protein every day. Um, that doesn't mean you need to eat that, but that's, you know, there is a turnover going on consistently in your body all the time. So we do need to replenish. Um, I mean, the, the Paleo Medicina um, clinic suggests that really as a females generally shouldn't really have any more than about 50 grams of protein a day really yeah really 50 grams that's 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 one gram per one one gram per kilo kilo. of um 
But that's well, a, I, that's I, a lean body mass, not yet. Well, not necessarily. That's lean body mass. I'd be 50, 55 kilos lean body mass. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm probably now somewhere in between 55 to 70 grams, I would say, probably, generally speaking, a day. Sometimes less, so, sometimes a little bit more, but, you know, I, I, yeah, I mean, I try not to go, I can, it's really interesting, having done that experiment and had the adverse effects, I know immediately when I've had too much because my sleep is effective and I, and I get itching back again. Yes. So I can yeah. tell now when I've had too much, if my protein the day before was too high, I can tell immediately. Good feedback system. Yeah, it is. Great, great feedback. You know, and I think there's there's two points that I want to make is we all do things differently. And this is based on, obviously, as Jackie said, those feedback systems. So if you haven't got the results that you intended to set out, you know, with your goal planning, Mm -hmm. that these are the feedback systems, you know, such as sleep disturbances, you haven't actually, you know, achieved a a weight loss goal or, you know, symptom relief. Mm-hmm. In your case, you know, you had this exacerbation of symptoms. So mm-hmm. there's that. But the second point I want to make, and I know I shared with Jackie a podcast, and, you know, again, it's about protein seems to be coming, as Jackie said, coming out over a mole's eyes, must, you know, <laughs> do, protein, do protein is the message. But I do think that it's it's contextual to activity. Yep. Certainly, um gender male and females have different yeah. requirements at different ages mm-hmm. you know different the metabolic sort of conditions that we have that sort of makes us tolerate or not tolerate um protein but we're not denying the fact that protein is an essential you know there are essential amino acids that we do need but I think it's obviously very, very controversial as to how much that is. It is. And we it's can really been quite interesting to see how it's exploded in the last year and a half. In the, yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm not saying it's not important. It is really important. But like you, I completely agree with what you're saying. It's very contextual, you know, and we do need more as, as we age. Um, but it doesn't mean we need a ton more as we age we just need to make sure that we're getting again adequate protein and the thing is a lot of people as they age I look at my own parents and you know they're not they tend to not eat as much food generally anyway and then what they're eating tends not to be focused around the protein you know it seems to be really common that it's not focused around that so that means that their intake becomes quite quite low and that is a worry I have that with my with my mum. I'm forever saying you need to up your protein, mm-hmm. and she just she just doesn't. I don't like meat. I think yeah, I can eat. She eats meat, but not every day. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have this little bit of smoked salmon, which is about twenty grams of smoked mm-hmm. salmon. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I did eat an egg, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just not enough. No, I know. We it's the same thing. So it is. That's where I think the issues can lie with people and um yeah it is it is difficult um and making sure you get enough is important 
but I, I just picking up on Jackie's mum's point, and we need to sort of obviously, Jackie, we need to rake her over the coals. It's not just the amount, but it's the quality. You know that it's yeah. it's that quality oh, yeah. protein, and I think that there are obviously poorer sources of protein where which may not have the bioavailability as obviously other sources of protein. And it's interesting mm-hmm. you sort of mentioned about the whey protein because I think that in itself, you know, comes from you were getting super loaded dairy. You know, mm-hmm. it's a byproduct of dairy, which would have compounded obviously your system with all that yeah. dairy <laughs> yeah. um, input. Because there are other, you can have pea proteins and egg, egg white protein. So, mm-hmm. which I was curious whether the whey protein was really the driver for your blood sugars. Yeah, I wonder. It, it could well be. And the fact that, you know, all of the dairy stuff that I was having was low-fat dairy, so that would have been, you know, lower-fat, higher sugar, potentially higher carbs. So, yeah, I would suggest that was the driver for the higher higher glucose um, because it's much more um, carb, carb-centric, um, which, you know, again, I, I hadn't been having for a very long time. Mm. Uh, so yes, it is. It is very interesting. It would be well, interesting to know whether you'd have the same results if you had high protein for you, but not as high as it was. So say a hundred to a hundred and thirty grams I, of protein. I do think that yeah, it does. I mean, I know as I said before, if I have a higher protein day, I I know it um, because I. I do suffer some of the those not as not as bad the symptoms, but they do come back. Um, so yeah, I do feel that keeping it to a lower a lower level is is much more beneficial for me, definitely. Mm. But it's in, I mean, it's it's not a low level. It's not like I'm hardly having. I'm, I'm having plenty enough for what my body needs. Yeah. It's really it's interesting. interesting, isn't it? But I'm just thinking the next experiment needs to be vegetables to, to introduce the vegetables. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know what? A few people have said that. And they're like, well, that was the one thing that I took out that brought my smell and taste back. And <laughs> I don't miss them enough to put them back in. <laughs> the dairy I put in because I do really like it and I did miss it. But you know what? I just don't miss vegetables enough to try it. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was thinking that as you said that, Louis. That um, if you don't miss them, what? Why would you put why? them? Why? Why would you yeah. want them? Just because? I, and because it took such yeah. a long time. It took three um, months for my smell and taste to come back again. I'm just thinking, yeah, no, I don't think I want to go down that road. <laughs> I I know that with me and dairy, and, and I mean, you sort of mentioned about the casein, the casein morphemes, and we've had this discussion before about how horrible it was with the withdrawal from from you know no dairy and i would you know where you you don't miss the the vegetables i would miss dairy too much to to do that did you did you enjoy it did you enjoy i mean you couldn't taste it you couldn't smell it so did you in the beginning i could in the beginning and obviously once i couldn't then smell and taste then i realized i had to take it out so it didn't make any difference so yeah i was really enjoying it really enjoying it i really loved I used to make a, um, a like a yogurty pudding in the evening, which had some casein in it, and because it thickened it up a little bit, and oh, it was just it was so nice. Um, but I've just remembered something else as well, which was dairy related. It made me quite constipated, um, which was another really interesting 
effect. And I think that was mainly through the casing, um, which is quite interesting. Mm. So, yeah. Definitely. You're not selling the dairy, though. You're not, not selling, selling the dairy. It, I'm not, I'm <laughs> well, um, no. <laughs> I mean, it's it's an interesting thing as well. I mean, I, I again, you hear so many things within the bodybuilding type industry of you know milk and dairy, and because it is a growth um, product, it has growth hormone in it, and a lot of people use it for the gains. But again, it's um, I don't. I didn't find that it made any difference in in that way. I did really enjoy having it, but it didn't make any. You know, no, really not. It had much more adverse effects than positive. Definitely. Mm. So now in this post COVID world, you know where where are you moving to? So you've settled back on just your everyday carnivore. You're getting back into obviously building, rebuilding the business, yeah. and you know what what are some of the the things that Lisa's looking forward to for 2022 and three beyond? Well, I'm basically, yeah, really happy to be back with the dietary protocol as it is with the higher fat. Really think that that's, for me, much better, feel feel really good. Um, and, yes, I'm trying to obviously build build the business back up as, as best I can. It's I think it's been quite difficult with people. Either they've been affected themselves financially through COVID, so they're not coming back, or they're out of the habit of exercising, so they're not coming back, or they've decided that they'll just do walking or running because it's free, or, you know, <clears throat> who knows? There's so many reasons. Some people don't want to do online. Um, so it's been very challenging. So basically, I've, I have kept, concentrating on myself as well I do have my online classes which is great I have online kettlebell classes and online um, high intensity interval training classes they're first thing in the morning those ones um, which are good and then I have a few clients that still that have come back um, be nice to get more and it would be nice to build it up a bit but I'm I'm concentrating still on myself I had um, I had a car crash in 2020 after we came out of lockdown, I should have stayed in lockdown. <laughs> it wouldn't have happened. Um, I, yeah, I basically wrote off my car. I, I crashed into a tractor, um, as you do on these country roads, um, or you meet them on the country roads, don't normally crash into them. It was quite a big smash. I had a little Nissan note and uh, wrote that off. It was a sideways, side to side kind of collision on a very narrow piece of road took the wheel, front wheel and the axle off the tractor. So it was a pretty big smash. Um, and I was really lucky to walk out of that without any major issues. Or so I thought. I did have, I had bruising right across my chest from the seatbelt. Um, and it turned out I went for an x-ray because my across my collarbone on my right side um, was very swollen and I thought I'd maybe broken my collarbone but I hadn't and I think it must have been soft tissue damage it was really painful I couldn't um, lift my arm above my head I couldn't lie sleeping was really hard lying on my side was really difficult um, yeah it was really painful and so frustrating because I got to a point in my training where I was really 
strong. I mean, I was doing with my kettlebells, I was doing Turkish get-ups with a 20 kilogram kettlebell. I was doing single arm swings with a 28 kilogram bell. You know, I was in a strong place and suddenly I couldn't even lift just my arm above my head. Mm. <clears throat> um, but I kept at it in the sense of I did what I could do. So I could do lower body stuff. So I kept doing lower body um, exercises, squats and, and deadlifts and stuff. I could still swing two hands, swing a kettlebell. So I was doing that. Um, I was doing things like bike sprints. I was doing anything that I could that wasn't involving um, trying to press arms overhead or, or chest press or anything like that anything I couldn't do I didn't do and I very slowly built that back up again um, I started more of a, a bodybuilding type approach to, to try and slowly you know do isolations and, and just rehab basically um, and so we're now two years later and I'm I'm back to being able to do a Turkish get up and now with an 18 I probably can do a 20 now I haven't tried it yet but I will be um and you know back to full strength which is great but it's because I just wasn't prepared to stop um and I also wonder whether the fact that I was at such a strong point with my body that um that I was able to get away with hardly any injuries mm. I, I mean who knows I don't know it was I was very lucky yeah, um, but I do believe that strength strength training is, and conditioning is vitally important for people especially as we get older it's so 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 important you know I I run a, a class after we came back from COVID I I do a class at the local um, health club and they couldn't do anything like kettlebells at first because it was too potentially sweaty. <laughs> we weren't allowed to, you know, we had to be in a spot in the room <laughs> and we weren't allowed to sweat. So it had to be something. Um, oh my God. So I ran a mobility class, basically. I just did mobility. And it was so interesting to see how hard people found that. Um, you know, it's getting up and down off the floor in various different ways, you know, just doing basic human movements like squatting and pushing and, you know, press up type things, things that we should be able to do as, as humans all throughout our life, people finding so hard. <clears throat> um, really, really interesting. Yeah. Super interesting in a, in a zoom meeting with colleagues and my colleague said, my COVID legs. And it's just like, what are you talking about, my COVID <laughs> legs? And it's like, because we've been sitting on Zoom meetings for the last yeah. two years, well, for me, teaching online. So teaching online, not only in the meetings, but obviously teaching as well. That we've lost, as you said, we've lost this, this bodily functions of, you know, we've been sedentary. Um, it, and here in Melbourne, obviously one of the most locked down cities in the world, you know, they could only go certain amount of kilometres. So that obviously reduced your capacity for one hour a day to get out. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So the function that, that you said, we had to adapt to obviously body weight exercises at home if we didn't have a home gym. So but it was interesting, yeah, my, my colleague said about her COVID legs struggling now back on campus to go up and down the stairs. Yeah, and it's yeah, just it's like honestly, it's a real, I mean, I think in the beginning when people were, 
pushing, you know, on TV and we had Joe Wicks here and everybody's doing their morning whatever exercise and, you know, suddenly I had, I had my classes online were very busy because people had nowhere to go, nothing to do, and they wanted to stay a bit fitter. But once that kind of went away, it was like people thought, oh, well, I don't need to worry about that now, or they didn't have time to worry about that now, or, you know, it had lots of different effects. Either people went to one extreme, didn't do anything, or they tried to do a lot, and then they gave that up because they didn't have time anymore. But yeah, I, I, I think you're right. There's been a lot of changes. And because we've been now doing so much online stuff, and you're, you're right, a lot of people sitting in meetings, you know, our glutes are one of the biggest, most powerful parts of our body, and they're not actually meant to be sat on. They're not sitting muscles. <laughs> but that's what a lot of people are doing on them all day. So we, you know, people don't, they're not firing their glutes. They're not activating. They're not working them. They're not. They're not strong, um, and no. so the rest of their body becomes weaker. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's it was really interesting. Very interesting to see how. I mean, people get disheartened very quickly as well. I had people that would come to my mobility class once and and find getting up and down off the floor a certain way difficult, and not come back. And it was such a shame because I'm thinking, you know, this is why you need to be here because you're finding it hard. This shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be difficult to do this. And if you don't do it and you stop doing it, then you're just in a vicious circle where you can't then Absolutely. Yeah. So I've got two questions. Um, So I'll go with one first. What could people – so people that have sedentary jobs, I mean, I'm always saying – after 50 minutes or an hour, get up and do some movement. But what are some simple things that people could do if they do need to sit a lot? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think definitely setting a timer every 50 minutes so that you at least get up and walk around. Walk around. Um, if you're if you are able to do things a bit more plyometrically, like jumping jacks or you know, just hopping about, basically jumping, jumping is great for your bone density, as well as, as you know, obviously heart rate and, and muscle and everything else. So doing some sort of movement that will get your heart rate up, it doesn't have to be for long, five, 10 minutes. If you're doing it throughout the day all the time, that builds up. Doing things like basic push-ups, even if you can't do a push-up, you can lean against your desk and do a desk, to, you know, an up, more upright push-up and work your way down to lower levels so that eventually you can you can do a proper push-up. Um, squats, squats are great. Um, you know, I mean, I'm a massive advocate for kettlebell training. I think it's a very, very excellent functional training tool. It has and so many benefits. So what are Turkish get-ups? Okay, a Turkish get-up, basically you are lying on the floor and you have a kettlebell at one side. So you, you you alternate the sides that you do this on. So you will lie on the floor, you'll slide your hand through the kettlebell so that you then are pressing it above your head like a chest press. So your, your head's on the floor, the kettlebell's above your head um, in a chest press. You've got the same knee that your arm is up, the same knee is bent, so your foot's flat on the floor. The other hat, arm and leg are out on the diagonal on the other side. And you are rolling onto the elbow of the side that the arm's on the floor. You've got to keep the kettlebell above your head the whole time with your arm locked out. You roll onto the elbow, 
you come up onto your hand, you then lift up onto your hips and you pull your the straight leg through so that you come up into a lunge position. And from there, you stand all the way up. And your arm is keeping that kettlebell up above your head the whole time. Then you reverse it and you go back down the other way until okay. you are back lying back down again. Wow. Okay, hang on, hang on. And you did this. <laughs> With an 18 kilo, yeah, so that's at least 40 pounds, 40 yeah. pounds above your head, which yeah. can potentially come yeah. down yes. and yeah. crush your head. Yes. <laughs> Obviously, you don't start with an 18 or 20 kilo. <laughs> no, a great, a great way to do I'd, this. I'd just is, like to be able to do that movement without well, any weight. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. A great way to do this is to do it without weight. And in my mobility classes, I was teaching that. So you basically... A great way is to put something like a um, well, if you if you don't mind getting wet, you put like a little um, cardboard cup with half full of water on your fist. So you have your you have your arm up in the air. You make a fist and you have a car a little cup with half full of water. And you know very well that if you if that cup comes down and you covered in water that you you've done it wrong <laughs> but you can do it with a sock you can do it with a you know a, a, anything that you are keeping above your head so that you know that the arm's in the correct position it's if you don't have anything then you know your arm can be waving around and you don't really realize it if you're having to keep something on your fist so you're not actually holding it you've got to keep it balanced on your fist then you know you've got to keep your arm straight up otherwise that whatever it is is going to fall down and so what what something light what, so it's not going to hurt you <laughs> what lisa's showing us is she's making the fist but the sock would go on the first knuckles of your, yes, of your yes. fist so not on the back of your fist yeah if you, so if you punch your arm up to the ceiling and then you've got the top knuckles you would balance something like a flannel or a you know sock or you know as i said like a very light um, cardboard cup with some water in if you don't mind getting a bit wet um, and and do it that way so you're doing it with just your body weight but you're also learning how to keep your body in that correct position uh, and it's a it's a phenomenal exercise because you're using everything in your body to get up and um, getting up safely um, obviously is is really important but it's Getting up and down off the floor is such a, a basic human thing. And there's lots of ways to do it. And um, that's a really excellent one. But just even, even doing a rolling so that you're, you're sitting on a mat and you roll back and you roll up into like a squat and stand, that kind of thing, is it's really important to do these things. And, and for most people, they find that very, very hard because we're not sitting on the floor. We're not sitting... You know, we're sitting on chairs, we're sitting on comfy sofas, you know, we're not, and we're not, as I said, because most people are sitting all day, their glutes and their legs, and they're not strong. Yeah, I would think for a lot of people, um, older people, I'm thinking of older people now, when you say getting getting down on the floor, one, then getting up, even if it means rolling onto your hands and knees and getting up from there, yes. I think some people would still struggle with that. Yes, oh, that, absolutely, yeah, definitely. I mean, I know... You know, my certainly my my mother can't get down up and down off the floor, yeah. um, and I know my my mother-in-law can't either, and they're really yeah. frightened of it. Um, and that's a terrible way to be. And you look at, um, you know, you look at contemporary hunter-gatherer tribes, and you've got 
men and women in their 80s sitting squatting, not sitting, in fact, they're squatting, you know, to do their chores. And they're getting up and down perfectly able. They're not sitting on their bottoms all day. You know, we're actually meant to squat. We're not yeah. meant to, to sit. Um, so, yeah. And we, Louise, sorry, Louise. I was going to say we we've tried to do get put your hands on your head and get, is that what you're going to say get down on the floor but neither neither of us could do it getting down into a squat position I had to get no, down onto my no. knees and then roll onto my butt and then and I can I, so I can this, get down and up but not yeah not squatting it wasn't to- pretty it certainly wasn't pretty <laughs> this is it's not pretty but there's there's things that Lisa's really picking up is and putting down but without dropping kettlebells on heads <laughs> is really that idea about the functionality and it, as you said about your your mum and your mother-in-law and my mother who's recently had a fall and it was quite devastating that the mm-hmm. impact of that fall and she broke ribs quite quite severely Oh dear. And it's a loss of confidence. But the, the thing is, because as soon as you hit 50, there's a there is a natural loss of bone and um, the sarcopenia um, as that particular condition. And falls are a major cause of obviously injury. It's a major burden on our healthcare system. You know, falls can be prevented, but it's the, as you said, that that impact of the falls you know, in terms of confidence, people don't want to be able to take risks of walking and they get in that negative feedback loop. Well, I don't want to be walking too far because what if mm-hmm. I fall? How am I going to get back up? Who's going to, who do I call? How do I make a call? You know, it's really quite debilitating for, for older people. Yeah, yeah, it really, really is. And and you're right, you know, as we age, we do start losing muscle mass and bone density, but it doesn't have to be as much as as the statistics are showing, you can really prevent a lot of it. And that is purely through strength training, purely through strength. You cannot get it through doing cardio. You have to do strength training and, um, you know, and doing mobility, flexibility, all of that comes with a lot of, you know, strength training. You know, the, the muscle is an organ and we have to keep it functioning properly it's it is the organ of longevity and the more muscle mass you have the less likely you are to fall um, in the first place and if you have strong strong bones and a lot of muscle mass and i'm not talking about being a bodybuilder i'm saying you've got enough muscle mass to um, help you that if you do fall you're not going to break things and you are and you are going to recover. I mean, most people, most elderly people that fall and break a hip, for example, a lot of them never recover because because of the muscle mass. They yeah. don't have enough muscle mass. And yeah. that's why they don't recover. Yeah. It's so sad. And it doesn't need to happen at all. And, and you know, training, strength training, it really is for throughout every age you can strength train. You know, it's it's you don't have to be doing high intensity. I mean, high intensity, yes, but high impact. No, you don't have to be doing mm-hmm. high impact stuff if you've got, you know, all my knees are dodgy or this, that and the other. You know, there's so many things that you can do. There's so many modifications you can make, but you can absolutely strength train for the whole of your life. Definitely. 
There is a, a lovely lady on Instagram, which I'll put a link in the show notes, and it's um, Training with Joan. And she's a 70-something-year-old <laughs> yeah. um, American lady. And so if I just follow her on Instagram. What inspiration. Know, you know, amazing, she, isn't it? Training with yeah. Joan. Oh, my. You know, here she is, well, this 70-year-old. I want to be Joan. That's what keeps me inspired is, you know, I want to be doing Turkish get-ups with an 18-kilogram bell or more, you know, when I'm 80. I want to be able to do these things. I, I want to keep going because, for me, that is, that's what health is. It's being able to be vibrant and strong and, and being able to, to do the things you want to do in your life. It's not about, get, oh, oh, well, that's what happens when you get older. No, it doesn't have to happen. And we can prevent so many things um, just by keeping going. It's consistency is so important, so underrated, so important. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to be, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be afraid of getting up and down off the floor when I'm in my 70s and 80s. I want to be able to be doing it with weight and, and, and be as strong as I can possibly be. Um, so that's my goal. Yeah, mm. I, I want to be Joan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's quite, quite amazing. So um, can we go back to talking about meat? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go and eat some after this. <laughs> tell tell us a little bit about what your day looks like in terms. I know we did this because, but but this was three years ago when we we last yeah. had a conversation. So, um, tell us a little bit about what your day looks like in terms of eating. Okay. Well, I generally I generally eat twice a day. Sometimes it will vary. If I wake up and I'm really hungry, I will. I mean, I eat when I'm hungry pretty much and stop when I'm not hungry, when I'm full. Um, but I will uh, generally have um, a later sort of breakfast. I generally train fasted, not because I'm trying to do anything clever. I just find that I can't, I can't do what I want to do with a stomach full of food. Um, and because I'm doing it in the mornings, because that suits my schedule, um, there's not enough time for me to have eaten and wait, you know, a couple of hours or whatever, really. So I tend to eat after and I'll again, I'm not generally that hungry straight after. So I'll, I'll wait. So I've done a session this morning. I've done a kettlebell session this morning and I'll eat um you know, soon, which will be now probably be almost, you know, maybe 11, half 11 midday, just depends when I'm hungry. Um, and I tend to have, I, I've gone through this phase recently, actually, of having um, really enjoying boiled eggs for my breakfast, boiled eggs with um, some, some kind of maybe some um, uh, pork belly, something like that, some fatty, fatty kind of meat. Mm -hmm um really enjoy I in the evenings I tend to have things like um beef short rib or, or some steak or or lamb lamb chops I eat a lot more probably now I eat a lot more beef and lamb than I did before and less pork and I'm hardly having any chicken at all mm. um, I've really I do try and source source all my meats really um, as best I can, but I always find that chicken, 
one, I think it's it's too lean anyway, generally. And I just, yeah, I'm never too sure. It's just a poorer quality meat, I think, chicken. I love yeah. eggs, love eggs. And I eat a lot of eggs and we have ducks and, and chickens ourselves. So I have a lot of eggs. Um, and yeah, so I have a lot of, of fatty, fatty meat. So our short ribs great because it's usually very fatty. Yeah. And, and anything else isn't quite, I'll, I'll add a bit of the fat from the short rib. And I, I tend to eat that quite often. I'll have that raw. Um, and I eat steaks generally raw, um, with the added raw fat. Um, the, the short ribs you'll eat raw. Yeah. Yeah. Completely okay. raw. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh yeah and i love i love raw fat i love it and you know it's interesting because i really again, struggle with that i really that, well i find it really just, the texture i love and for me personally i again i find if if i'm eating meat that is cooked so say i'm having a short rib a cooked piece of short rib which i do really enjoy I find that hot fat, cooked fat, and liquid fat will go quite often straight through me. Mm. It's not very pleasant. And the reason for that is because your body doesn't have to break it down. It's already broken down. So you're just, it's literally kind of going through you. Um, Whereas if it's raw or cooked and cold, your body's got to break it down. It takes a lot longer to process it. Right. Mm. So this might be the reason for the disaster pants, right? Oh, it is definitely. <laughs> yeah, it is totally the reason for disaster pants. It it is your body has to break down cold, you know, cooked and cold fat or raw fat. It takes a lot longer and you've got more of a process. So it's not going to go if you if you if it's cooked or liquid, um, then yeah, it's gonna it's just gonna go straight through you. And yeah, that, that is a recipe for disaster. After after our last conversation, I did try and eat just some fat, and I just really couldn't do it. I asked the butcher for some just some fat. I yeah. couldn't do it. Maybe I should try. <laughs> I mean, I can eat a raw steak because I eat it mostly raw. I can eat. Um, I love making burgers, but I eat more of the meat before I cook it than it than yeah. I do when it's cooked. So I, I'm quite happy well, with that. Yeah, so you like that? Yeah, I know. It's interesting because mm. my dogs my dogs have a raw raw meat diet and um sometimes when i'm doing their their dinner if i'm really hungry and haven't had my dinner yet and i oh that, that looks really quite nice <laughs> <laughs> so like oh bit for you bit for me bit for you bit for me um so yeah they uh sometimes they, i have to share i share my food with them sometimes or they share their food with me <laughs> what's what's the the meal that's the the mincemeat with the egg at the like at a fancy restaurant that's the um oh steak tartare yes so yeah. Yeah, yeah that 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 i can yeah but i haven't when i'm just sort of conceptualizing walking down the costco meat aisle and going <laughs> oh i could have some takeaway right now i'm um, looking at the short ribs <laughs> i mean yeah, i agree I that i mean i find the, it it's really interesting when i buy a big quantity and i'm i'm, I'm vacuum packing it chopping up and putting being in the freezer you know to sometimes have to stop myself from really um just like you jackie just popping it in my mouth because it's just so yummy i love it and i have raw yolk you know egg yolks a lot as well because i um i, I love them as like a sauce on, on whatever 
as a, a say sauce, but just a raw raw egg yolks, yummy, really nice. Mm, and I, I wouldn't eat the raw egg white. When when we spoke last time, I mean, you were really focusing on eating nose to tail. Yeah, so still do. Do you think it's important for the for eating organ meats that we have some of every organ rather than just focusing on maybe liver? Um, for me, yes, I do. I mean, if you can get it, I, I love eating heart. I love liver. Um, I love sweetbreads. That's usually the thymus um, glands, the throat glands um, around the sheep or cows. Um, they are really very nutrient dense, really, really nice. Um, kidney tongue um do you eat all those raw or cooked I, I have eaten them raw i tend to eat them cooked but very sort of lightly cooked so i don't overcook them i mean liver when it's overcooked is really not nice it becomes so hard yeah. um yes i have eaten all of them raw i i like brain but it's very difficult to get hold of now in the uk the the great thing for me is that we have a we have a house in Cyprus that we're a northern Cyprus that we're going to be eventually living in in three years when my husband retires. And when we go there, um, when we're staying on holiday, it's just fantastic because every butcher's you can get anything that you want and it's normal. Mm, <laughs> I yeah. feel like a normal person when I walk into the butchers there because it does it's I it's there anyway on display so you can get brain and heart and tongue and lung and spleen um and all these different things and it's a normal part of the diet you're not looked at like a strange person because you want to buy it or you ask for them if for it if they haven't got it there it's completely normal and it's so refreshing <laughs> it's so refreshing to be able to go and get what you want really easily and not be considered strange. Mm. That was the experience in the um, in one of the big sort of Costco-like supermarkets in in Bangkok. So mm. and in the great big tubs, and they were all in bulk. So all of the like the the lining, the the actual sort of the stomach lining, the tongues, the actual yeah. congealed blood, and yeah. it was. Basically, for um, all the chicken, like all the chicken, even the chicken skins, which I love to deep fry. So the chicken skins mm -hmm. were actually quite yummy as like crackers. Yeah. Um, uh, well, more like a corn chip. And then you'd walk around and um, so pork. So all of the pork sort of type organs as well. And the, yeah. um, the, with the congealed blood, they would make that in the soups as well. So it was congealed blood soup. Mm -hmm. um you know the liver the kidneys you know it was it was as you said it's normal and it's normal. where we go to the supermarket because it's you're killing an animal then make use of the whole thing you know use absolutely the feet. Them, i mean my dogs love mm -hmm. chicken feet but i love using them in, in broths because you get all the gelatin and you know all the all the goodness the collagen out of them um so yeah it's we're doing that why do we I mean, the ridiculous thing in this country is that most of the time, because there's a butcher that I go to that's slightly further away from me, so it's an hour away, but they have an abattoir that's connected to the, the whole place. And most of the organs are sent abroad because we don't want them. And it's just, to me, it's like, I mean, I have to phone them and say, can you get me the sweetbreads, lung, whatever it is, and they'll keep some for me. But the rest of it is either chucked or it's sent abroad. Mm. I mean, it's criminal, really. <laughs> well, wait. This was, this was the 
this was the issue with um, chicken skin. And so in the supermarket in Bangkok, you know, there was like, you know, lots and lots of chicken skin. But um, if I'm coming back now to Australia, to be able to get chicken skin, because it's obviously processed in the big factory. So if I have to go to a little local butcher, you know, but they mainly get all their meats wholesale. And so they don't even prepare chook, you know, it's all sort of pre-packed. And it's just like they've lost skills. The butchering skills are lost these days. Yeah, definitely. They are lost. You know, we complain that we can't feed the world, but actually we, we chuck away so much. And not just meat-wise, but we chuck away vegetables that aren't perfectly formed. I mean, what what have we come to that things have to be a certain <laughs> way? Or it's just, it's, this is criminal. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Do you it's think... so wasteful. Do you think for people that don't like organ meats, I mean, a lot of people have grown up and they've never had it. Do you yeah. think um, a supplement would be good? Yeah, I think a supplement would, would be good. Um, you know, I, I think you don't have, I mean, I, I wouldn't say you have to. There's plenty of people, certainly in the carnival space, that don't eat any organ meats. They're perfectly fine. They've not got any deficiencies. Um for me, it's I do enjoy it, and for me, it's it's a lot about not wasting stuff. Mm. I think it's really important. But yeah, I think I wouldn't say everybody has to eat it. I just think that um, there are definitely nutrients. I mean, liver and and sweetbreads certainly they've got lots of um, you know vitamin C and magnesium and you know lots of nutrients that are really important that that could be considered to be slightly lacking in a carnival diet, but they provide it in in ample amounts and the thing is you don't need to eat a lot of it either i mean you hear a lot of uh things that come out on youtube or whatever oh vitamin a toxicity and i ate this and i became sick and and it's actually it turns out that that person ate loads of it and you're thinking well yes you will probably get sick if you're eating loads of it you don't need loads of it because it actually is a little nutrient powerhouse you only need little bit every day or not even every day you only need a bit you don't need a lot so you know there's always this feeling of more if it's got to be good then more is better well that's not necessarily the case you know it's being reasonable about things um and i think that's really important to remember is that yeah you don't you don't have to be going crazy to have it because you think oh well i better have that so i better have loads um but i do think yeah if you like it that's great. Nutrient um, supplements can be important. I think. I think really, you probably only need those kinds of things if you are deficient in something, no. because otherwise, you should be able to get it through your food. Maybe even just like a hundred grams of liver a week is yeah, it's probably enough. Perfectly it's fine. A small amount. Absolutely. It is just a small amount, and maybe just have you could have that in a couple of different meals. You know, thirty grams here. 30 grams there you know you don't have to have it all in one go either and you can mince it up and maybe add it to a burger put it in your burger not even going to know it's there yeah Yeah. and it and those kinds of things are really really you know if you're talking about superfoods they're they're the kind of superfoods that really are do exist in my opinion yeah i'd i'd have to hide it because i'm still traumatized by my mother cooking (laughs) it like shoe leather (laughs) Well, I was too. I mean, I had the same experience. I hated it when I was a kid. I mean, we did have it. We had steak and kidney pie and we had liver and we had this, but I I really didn't enjoy it as a kid. It's quite interesting now that those are the kind of things that I eat, you know, almost exclusively. It's quite funny. 
but uh, yeah. So Louise, before we came on the recording, you were telling Lisa how you're struggling to get to the gym, and I thought that well, Lisa had some tips that we could do. So why don't you explain to everyone what's going on, and then we'll take it from there. Well, I, I suppose, dear listener, with my new job, I'm I'm really struggling to get back into nutrition and and exercise in any sort of meaningfully sort of way. As I'm, I am obviously a bachelor girl at the moment. Andrew is still in Bangkok, so I'm tending to stay at the office longer. You know, what coming home to an empty house, and the great thing is i was i was telling jackie and um and lisa that the gym on campus i have it part of my employment package is subsidized which is absolutely fantastically the price point is awesome and it's outside my office window i can literally you know spitting distance it's just (laughs) it's right there and it's like it's taunting me you know it's like louise we miss you come we want you and it's like yes no problems i'm going to time block i'm going to make an appointment with myself because i'm the obliger so if i have it in my diary i can get there but there's always some think popping up and um, there's always some student or there's an appointment or you know it just isn't happening teaching at the moment my schedule is 8 a.m to 11 a.m so three times a week and I thought great I'm going to teach class I'm going to come back put my put my clothes on I brought the brought everything to to the office but I just literally have not got there this week. Next week's schedule is, looks better, but it <laughs> seems to be, it's better, like better, freer. Like I've booked it and it's easier f- with no meetings from three to five because from 8 a.m. and then I'm going at the gym at five to six, that then runs into the problem of getting home and making meal planning and stuff like that. That was really um quite stressful for me to sort of say look I've missed the gym and I need to get home because I need to eat um and it's been a 10-hour day and here I am again it's a 10-hour day you know Mm -hmm. I'm I'm really struggling with it do you think that you could um envisage yourself going before work because that's what I would suggest right now is to do and not to go for and not to do like I'm going for an hour because you think, oh, my God, I've got to be there by seven and or before because I'm starting at eight. I'm I think maybe just starting like a going for 20 minutes um, and just doing some fairly basic things in the beginning to get yourself back into the swing of it. So going in um, and just um, doing some strength, some strength stuff. So you're not going to go in flat out, all out all or nothing because I think a lot of the time when people people have this impression that you've got to go in do a whole hour or more and everything's got to be sweaty and everything's got to be this and I've got to do that and it becomes overwhelming and the thought of doing that becomes really overwhelming and then you don't do it and I think if you break it up into small you know you could go for 20 minutes before your day which actually could really wake you up and get you firing if you're not you know, not killing yourself and you're not suddenly like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm exhausted now. You do things that actually um, can wake your body up 
and get you moving and get you feeling strong. Even if you break it up to, to go in and do, right, I'm going to just go in and do stuff with my legs today. I'm having a leg day. I'm not saying that you should do necessarily a bodybuilding splits, but to start with, maybe just going in and I'm just going to do my legs today. Tomorrow I'm going to do some arms and to the next day I'm going to do this. So, so it's small little chunks and it feels doable. I think that's the thing is to make, make things feel doable because then psychologically you're much better placed to want to go and to want to go back. Um, I think if you if you bite off more than you can chew and you're trying to do too much, and, I, and like you say, at the end of the day, you're tired and the incentive is probably not there, it feels harder to, to, to get that motivation. The incentive is there because it's in the diary. You know, like yeah. I made a time to do that. And it keeps on shifting. Like I was, but you didn't stick to it. That's the thing. I didn't. But the only, <laughs> so let's go backwards. So if classes are eight and I have a travel commute time, say 20 minutes. So, and you're saying get there maybe at 7 a.m. So then I have to leave home at say 6.30. So then I have to be up at 5.30. <laughs> then I have to be in yeah. bed by right about now. So let's go to bed now, ladies. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah. going. I know, yeah, it does. It's, it's difficult. I appreciate the, the difficult thing. Is there a... Um, well, then if it's not going to work in the mornings, then it is it is the, the fact of working out why you are putting it in your diary, but not sticking to, to going when you've scheduled that time. So, you know, it's about that whole, you know, you are just as important, if not more important than all the other things that are in your day. And so, you know, would you let down a student and say, right, well, I'm not going to see you now because I don't I feel too tired. No, you wouldn't. So it's trying to put that kind of thinking into yourself Best. and treating yourself as just as important. This this appointment that I've made with myself to go to the gym is just as a point is just as important as the appointment that I made to speak to that student at midday about what oh, absolutely that kind yeah. of thing. So you do try and stick to it because it is hard and you know, I think I we said at the beginning of um, you know before we were recording, I I was doing some jury service about three years ago, and it involved driving an hour into Aberdeen, spending all day sitting down, which I don't normally do, and then driving an hour back, and I was exhausted from doing nothing, and that's the trouble. A lot of the time, the the less you do, the more tired you are, and that's a lot to do with our mitochondria. Our mitochondria is the little powerhouse batteries in every cell that we have in the body. And they're a bit like they're a bit like rechargeable batteries. The more you do, the more energy you have. It's like charging them up. The less you do, the less they have. They're, they're, not, they're not reproducing, they're not growing in numbers, they're not um, growing in density. You know, the less you do, the worse it is for your mitochondria. The more you do within reason and obviously not overtraining, the better it is. It's like a rechargeable batteries. So actually, if you do manage to, to make yourself go to the gym, then you will feel more energetic. 
you will feel better. I mean, I'm sure you know that already because you've oh, done absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, 110 yeah, percent It's just that motivation. It, yeah. So it's trying to get mm. yourself into that frame of mind that um, this is something that I absolutely need to do. I, I was doing, when I was going in for the, the jury service, I made myself get up earlier. And I just did, even if it was 15 minutes, I just did 15, 20 minutes of something did the drive, had the sitting, did the, the, and then I had to come home and teach classes. So I had, I mean, I obviously had to teach classes, so that's fine. I had to do that. Um, I, and it just gave me, and I did have more energy because of that. But if I hadn't have had those things and I hadn't have made myself get up earlier and do it, I would have been absolutely shattered for no reason of doing nothing. <laughs> Mm. But the good thing is on the, the days that I'm not teaching, I have been doing um, not having to go into campus, so that's a good thing. And, and I found a local yoga studio, mm. and that's been absolutely wonderful. So that's local. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's obviously, again, it's more achievable because I haven't had these external sort of pressures. Yeah, um, yeah so I'm really excited about the being able to balance the on-campus certainly the strength training with the more local um the local classes and building community for me when I was in living in Chelmsford and going to the gym became community yeah and you know the women that were in the in there they were just wonderful women you know embracing so it wasn't about the exercise it was about the community yeah that's so, a difference and that makes you want to go which, it makes you want to yes to get there yes. and see people and mm. and you know and you will get that as soon as you obviously start going regularly you will develop that and that mm. will help keep you going too for sure and having a training partner sometimes that's you know going with somebody else that you know um is is a great way for accountability yep and that's where Andrew was my accountability buddy. So we yeah, were when yeah. we were training together. So anyway, but thank you. They were the excellent tips, and um, I will be accountable to Jackie. To you know, to, <laughs> Jackie keeps me accountable. So yeah, <laughs> so, no, I'm looking forward to to being able to get a bit more balance in my in my life. Yeah, so, that would be yeah. great. I'm sure. So is there, is there anything else, Lisa, that you wanted to mention that we haven't spoken about? I don't think so. Gosh, we seem to have covered an awful lot of things, really. We have. We've covered a lot of ground. Yeah, we have. So in terms of... I would say is that if you're ever in lack of motivation or you haven't got time, buy a kettlebell. (laughs) I'm a big kettlebell advocate, as you know. So that they they are one thing, small thing, small amount of space, you can do a lot. Yeah, yeah. My my parting words of wisdom. (laughs) So... um, your online classes so people can do them so you've got sort of programs that people can do and just do it in their own time but you do some online classes as well at set times I do yes I do every um I do three mornings a week Monday Wednesday Friday and it's 7 30 UK time it's just half an hour and that's body weight um you don't have to have any equipment apart from a chair like a dining chair um and a mat and just yourself um that's half an hour of high intensity interval training it's completely scalable because if you can't jump around you don't have to jump around um it's all body body weight strength and just getting your heart rate up a bit and starting your morning off um with half an hour of of doing and um so that's that's mondays 
Wednesdays and Fridays at half past seven UK. And then I have uh, two kettlebell classes, uh, which are late afternoon evenings, five o'clock UK time on a Tuesday and a Thursday. So um, they generally obviously are for people that do have access to a kettlebell because you'll need your own at least one kettlebell to do that. Um, but yeah, again, completely scalable. And um, and it's nice. It's it's fun to see everybody online and um, and get moving together. Yeah, it's good. So that's on a Thursday, uh, Tuesday and Thursday. So and then you can be anywhere in the world to join me. Um, so anybody that's listening that would like to or is curious, drop me a line and you can join in the classes. It would be great fun. Mm, shame it's in the middle of your workday, Louise. I know. Um, although but, I, have had, know. I have had people um, in Australia and in the States, actually, who have uh, who've joined us. It's just, yeah, just working it around your... Uh, it would be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. suppose on the work, the work from home days, I could sort of take an early lunch. Yeah. Lunch. yeah. Yeah, yeah no, but she doesn't do it on your on your work at home days. She does Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and you do Monday, Wednesday. Well, no, the 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 class that I'm teaching at the moment will finish like every four weeks. I teach a different class every four oh, weeks, okay. so my 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 class oh, days might yeah, well will rotate. That would be great. It will. Yeah, yeah, oh, you have to remember that. So, how can people get in contact okay. with you? Um, well, you can always go to my website, which is uh, lisabaileyhealth.com. So that's probably the easiest way from there. You can always get onto my Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. Um, and I have a YouTube channel as well. Some of there's some um, free classes and uh, workouts on my YouTube channel. There's also some free kettlebell instruction uh, videos as well as um, all sorts of bits and pieces. I also have some meditations on there too, if you feel like just chilling out. Mm. So yeah, lots of different ways to get in touch with me. And uh, I would look forward to meeting some new people. It'd be great. Well, thank you, Lisa. It's been wonderful as usual just to sort of, you know, touch base. And I'm sure that we should be doing this again, Jackie, with Lisa, just to sort of keep tabs on the Lisa, the, you know, the <laughs> science experiment, you know, N equals one. And, um, yeah, it's been really great to, to catch up with you today. Well, thank you very much for having me. Before we leave. As usual, we like to leave the listeners with your three top tips. And I think you threw away one of those. Buy a kettlebell. Buy a kettlebell. Um, that would probably be, yeah, one of my number maybe one. Maybe buy two kettlebells or maybe buy three <laughs> kettlebells. There you go. Those are the three top tips. Buy a kettlebell. Um, do some form of strength training um, almost every day if you can. Um, and... Eat well, play well, rest well. That's what I would say. They're the, they're the oh, love good it. things in life. Great. Mm, love those. Yeah. That's from your primal health training, isn't it? It's from my primal <laughs> health training. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. That's all right. Thank you so much thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks, Lisa. So, Jackie, wasn't that exciting to sort of hear how, you know, the effects of one particular macro protein, um, you know, had, you know, impacted on, on her health? Mm, yeah. And, you know, I think it's good to experiment with different things at different times. And I mentioned to a client the other day about the, the different levers that we can pull to to try different things if something isn't working then try something else 
um, because I think we we would love for somebody to tell us, do this, do that, do the other, and it would work. But actually, it doesn't work like that because we're all different. So we have to try different things at different times. And as I said to um, my client is, ah, oh, there was a quote and I looked it up the other day because I can never remember it. But a man goes to the river. You say something while I look it up. I'm going to, I'm going to find it. So I, Heraclitus. Yeah, I read it. Yeah. So I read it and you was, you had said about the man walks into the river and the man is not the same as he walks into the river because the river keeps on, on moving. So it was, um, you know, the metaphor is no point in time is the same and no person is the same. Yeah, let me just, I, I, I will find it now. Here we go. So the quote says, no man ever steps in the same river twice for it's not the same river and he's not the same man. And I think listeners will know how you and I are yin and yang. You know, when it comes to the levers, particularly when, it, when we were levering around um, fasting and we were both doing the same thing in terms of the alternate day fasting but having completely different results. You know, we, you and I are very much at different, different, you know, parts of our journey. And, you know, that this is where it is about a continual process of adaption. Your body gets to that homeostasis and it goes, no, I'm going to plateau or stall now. And you're going to have to keep mixing things up. And I think we need to look at the experiment as we heard from, from Lisa is, you know, protein is such a, you know, a contentious issue in the, in the keto low carb space. So you're either under eating, you know, typically we do under eat, but when we sort of go through those higher levels and how that sort of impacts on our, um, you know, on our, our metabolism, blood sugars, how we were generally feeling, um, and, and generally, you know, if we're not obviously using all those resources to build muscle, you know, if I'm particularly an office worker and I'm sedentary, then, then what, you know, it's obviously different, different strokes for different folks. So yeah. it's a really great insight into, you know, N equals one. Yeah. And, and it's definitely worth revisiting. So the, the conversation with my client got me thinking about, I have tried carnivore a few times and I have not enjoyed it. And, and you know, one, the last time I did it, I was really miserable, wasn't I? And, um, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to try it again. And so that got me thinking and maybe I should try it again. So I think we need to keep going back to things that maybe didn't work and just double checking because our bodies change as well, not just mm. our minds. But you're doing a lot more physical activity because you're training for your taekwondo. You are, you know, you have been obviously doing a lot more. So it may well be different that that higher protein might might be more beneficial for you. I have been eating higher protein anyway, even though it's not been carnivore. So I have been, I think, mm, for a couple of months now, I've really been focusing on the protein more and eating more. And I think if I did carnivore again... I would definitely make sure I ate more physically more ate more because maybe I think part of it was I wasn't eating enough you tend mm. to I was tending to have the same sort of portion of meat that I would normally have with the vegetables and yeah 
strawberries and cream or whatever it is, I would have the same amount of meat and I think I'd probably need to up it. Right. Well, well, dear listeners, we'll have to watch this space when, <laughs> when Jackie tries, tries her carnival experiment again. But I think, you know, because you've got your competition coming up, your, your grading, then, you know, I know that you're wanting to sort of obviously get some strength and some conditioning. Have you gone back to the kettlebells? I haven't actually because I've been doing um, some using resistance bands um, that Dr. Ben Biciccio recommends. I've been trying to get that right, which I haven't been doing very well. So I haven't done the kettlebells. And I think with the kettlebells, it's really hard to do by yourself and get the right position. So I was finding that it was pulling on my back and I wasn't doing it right. And I did send a video to Lisa oh, a long time ago, maybe more than a year ago. And she was saying, get your back straight. But I, you know, I can't see that. I can't feel it in a way. So yeah, I am. Um, no, is the answer. You might, you but, might need to go to school. Go to Scotland and get some personal training. <laughs> yeah, I am thinking of maybe taking one of her online courses that are live. But I did try the Turkish get-up with a pair of socks on my hands, which kept falling off. But actually, I I think I managed to do it. Not oh, managed, well done. Not yeah. managing to keep the sock on my hand all the time, <laughs> but um, getting the position right. So that should be interesting to try. I know. When we've tried to do the other one that um, it was Graham Phillips that was saying about the sit down sort of stand up one. So I know that that was obviously equally as awkward for, for both of us to try and do that. But today, after going to the gym for the first time in a little while, it was really good because Andrew's here. So um, having my accountability buddy here and we both went to the gym so I've got some delayed onset muscle soreness and I'm going up and down the stairs today so <laughs> I know that it's just pain is weakness leaving my body but you know why does it have to hurt I don't know yeah. but it was good it was so good I was going to gonna ask you if you've been did you manage to sort something out with your exercise yeah. regime yes yes so I have and it's been really good bit to sort of reflect again on Gretchen Rubin has a lot to say, as she does. She speaks to me a lot about accountability and being the obliger. And one of the biggest, um, the biggest things was incorporating the the tiny habits, the atomic habits, as well as obviously all the Gretchen Gretchen Rubin habits as well. And I focused on the micro habits of putting my shoes and my gym gear at the top of the stairs to take with me to work. Then it was all about getting me to the gym and the timing. So there was um, <laughs> tell them about young... the Tell them about the time that you got all ready and then went to the gym. And it was shut. <laughs> and because obviously it's sort of coming back from COVID, COVID sort of, you know, limited hours and that sort of stuff, and I had completely missed the timing for they had a midday break of all the times for a gym to be shut, the, you know, for lunchtime it was shut. Anyway, but the point was tiny habit says, you know, I broke it down, I brought my shoes, I put my shoes on, I walked over to the gym, but it was obviously shut. But the mental preparedness was half the battle to do that, but part of that was to get me to have my little accountability buddy. And there's a young man there named Ali. 
So Ali has become my surrogate accountability buddy because I can't put in my diary, go to the gym because it doesn't mean anything. But if I have an appointment with Ali, whether it's there or not for for him, but I'm accountable now to Ali to be at the gym at 4 p.m. And that has worked. It's just been such a light bulb moment that I'm now can't be late for Ali at the gym at four o'clock in my diary. So even though that means, you know, stopping what I'm doing at 3.30, you know, getting dressed and going over, but being accountable to him is is really um is is really great so where when i was living and working in the uk andrew and i would be accountable to each other and sending us the updates of our little workout routines it's sort of it's that i know works but having someone physically accountable to is is the bigger motivator for me which is a tiny habit so what's the motivation i need to be there for ali i can't let ali down you know, this this lovely young man, you know, I have the gym, it's accessible, it's less than 100 metres away from, you know, from I can see it from my office window. And, um, you know, the prompt is to be accountable to to him and not be late. Mm. So Well done. Mm, Very good. Huge, you know, really, you know, quite a few light bulbs. But um, the other thing that we're doing is um, today is going and doing some yoga uh, the Kundalini Yoga. yoga. Um, so I found a, a lovely yoga studio quite close to, to home. Yep. So when I'm working from home, I've got options. And when I've got, um, obviously, the gym, um, when I'm on campus um, teaching at least three days a week, which is super great. And then, um, yeah, it's finding that balance. And you don't need to be doing strength training any more than three times a week probably. No, no, absolutely. And the other thing is that Ali has um, the the university that I teach at has a great, uh, very strong history in the exercise, sports, science, um, fitness, and um, has has relationships with local football teams. So very sporty and very large grounds, as well as this well equipped gym, which is super cheap. So there's no, you know, I don't feel like I'm, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a huge drain. But the, the fitness um, students come through the gym as well. So there's um, great opportunities to go to their clinics to have, um, you know, to be a bit, a bit of a guinea pig for the students as well. Ah, excellent. Mm. During this outro, we were talking about a, a comment, a post that I put in the Facebook group and just to let you know, if you are low carb, keto, carnivore, doing intermittent fasting, are interested in doing any of the above or before, um, you're welcome to come and join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash fabulously keto. Jackie, where can we get the show notes for this episode? So the show notes will be at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash zero nine five. So I'm sure that the listeners will really appreciate some updates later on of the gains, <laughs> your gains and, and my gains when we um, when we catch up next time for our next recording, Jackie. Okay. See you then. Great. Thanks. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com 
forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto 1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.